Yes, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you and uh, trust that you've been encouraged already. Thanks, Jonathan, especially what you shared on the uh, faithfulness of our younger generation. And uh, what a challenge these, uh, the Sunday school lesson was for me again, just the, uh, the men that stood up and uh, wouldn't compromise. Wow, uh, we need more and more of that kind of uh, testimony. I just wanted to mention before I go into the message that, uh, just to highlight again that there is a members meeting this Wednesday night. I don't think that was mentioned. Some things that, just business items that we need to take care of. And so please try to uh, be here for that. Well, this morning, the uh, message that uh, we'd like to talk about, of course, going back to the series that we've talked about for quite some time. And in some sense, of all the messages that we've taught out of uh, the, uh, that stem from the statement of faith that we have here as a, as a congregation, in some sense, it culminates today <coughs> with the teaching that we have today. <coughs> the subject that, uh, as you might know, uh, centers around what we refer to as the Great Commission. And... Um, we take the text out of Matthew chapter 28. I, I want you just to hold off before you turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, okay? Don't look at that yet. <clears throat> but uh, let's just refresh ourselves on the statement itself that we have as it is written. It says, we believe that Christ called and commissioned the church to go into the entire world, preach the gospel, baptize believers, and make disciples of all nations. Now who all believes that this is a command of Christ? Who all thinks that it is important to Jesus Christ, this, this command? How many here think it is important, personally? Maybe not quite as many, all right. So if we think that it's important, let's recite it together without looking at the Bible, okay? All right, you ready? Okay, go ahead. Uh-oh. Hang on, not quite. Back up a little bit. All. Say it, Beth. All right, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Let's say it together. Let's read it together, okay? All, sorry, I, we'll say authority, okay? This is out of the New King James. Let's say it again. Let's say it according to what we have up here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there. One of my earliest recollections as a little boy and uh, being left at Grandpa's house uh, for an extended period of time uh, was when my parents went on a mission endeavor to teach Bible school at an inner city uh, uh, mission uh, reaching kids Bible school in Washington, D.C. As close as I can Guess I was. It was probably the late '60s. I may have been 
five, six, I don't know how old I was. Maybe it was even four. I'm not sure how old I was. But what I do recall out of that experience is that I recall the big lump that was in my throat and the tears that I fought back uh, of not having mom and dad around for the first time. And even though I love grandma and grandpa, there's just something that wasn't right. And uh, I just remember choking back the tears and, and missing mom and dad. Yet today, I would like to publicly honor them and uh, for instilling a, uh, a value in my life that uh, I think is priceless. While they could have dropped me off at Grandpa's house and gone on a cruise or gone to visit the Bahamas, they chose instead to go minister in inner city. And I'm not saying that anybody that leaves your children with grandpas to go on a cruise or go to the Bahamas is wrong or sinful. That's not what I'm trying to say. When I was growing up, I don't recall that we as a family did a lot of family vacations together. There was one time that I was about 12 years old when Dad gathered all six of us children together and rented a motor home, and we headed out west for about six weeks. And that was a great trip, great memories, and that was one time that we did take a family vacation. Other than that, we really didn't take family vacations per se. Oh, we would go to southern Indiana or up to Wisconsin to visit my uncles and, and cousins, but, uh, you know, you don't really consider that a vacation as such. Well, the other thing that I recall a lot of was uh, Dad leaving for countless mission-related trips. Uh, he'd also leave for three weeks at a time to teach Bible school for quite a few years. I have no idea how many years. And, of course, evenings and weekends and other times leaving yet one more time to go to another board meeting. I think at the peak of his involvement, uh, he was serving on six different boards at one point, six different organizations. And I admit that at some level, it probably, it probably vied for some good quality dad time. And uh, I, I recall one time especially that, uh, and, and by the way, that's not to say all the phone calls. I remember one time especially that I answered the phone and bless my heart and Brother Ben's heart, who was the chairman or the secretary of MIC. Dad was the chairman, and I remember it was Ben Lapp again. And I remember answering the phone, yes, is your dad there? And I said, Dad, Ben Lapp. I, uh, I was given to understand that I don't say that with the phone in my hand. Yet unbeknownst to me, and probably somewhat unconsciously to Dad, his service for Jesus Christ placed an immeasurable value system in my life for which I am deeply grateful for today. In the same, it, 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 it's a lot the same value system that God the Father placed on his son Jesus Christ. And today, Dad, I want to honor you for, um, for following the call of God in your life. Thanks for living and thereby showing me the heartbeat of God.
And so in the presence of God and, and all these people that are here, I want to just bless you for that and thank you for it. This morning I have no intention to <clears throat> get caught up in, in a useless argument of whether the Great Commission is, is the most important thing or purpose of the Christian church or not. That's not my intent, but what I do want to know, what I do want to tell, and what I know for certain is that it is a very important thing to Jesus Christ, God the Father. And right at the onset of this message, I, I just want to say as, as pastor of Berea Christian Fellowship, is my desire to keep that same kind of focus in front of this congregation. God forbid that we should promote such a warm, cuddly, family-like atmosphere to where all the attention is turned inward and that we forget to go beyond the walls of these, this building right here. You talk about an implosion waiting to happen? Yeah, that'll do it. If our focus is only amongst us right here, it may go on for quite some time, but eventually, eventually, the walls will crumble because it is not God's heartbeat. I don't know if you're aware or not, but churches, just like individuals or families, take on certain personalities. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Linford after church here and eh, just checking in with his love life, seeing how it's doing and and really not knowing Rachel well and his friends. So I just said, hey, I started asking him some questions. And I just said, hey, what, so give me some, give me a profile of, of their family. What, what words would you attach to their family? And it was interesting to hear the, the, the different w words that, uh, and uh, uh, the profile that he sort of painted sort of seems like I know her a little bit better, at least her extended family. And, and church congregations, local congregations, have that same type of personality traits. And so I wonder what people would say if they were to profile Berea Christian Fellowship. Maybe more important, I wonder what God would say if he were to profile our congregation. What would he say? You know, he profiled the churches in Revelation he gave them their good points, and he also exposed some of the stuff that wasn't so good. By the way, this was only 40 years after the Christian church was established that he profiled these churches. And some of them he was saying, you got to repent. you got to get back to the basics again. And I wonder, I've often wondered, what, what would God say if he were to describe this congregation would one of the things let me ask you this let, let me just what do you think people would say about this congregation I'd like to have some feedback from you what well, just words or two or three words that you would that you think people would say about this congregation they let anybody in okay We're friendly. Love is displayed. They felt Jesus here. Grace. 
So if a congregation were to be known for the warmth of their fellowship, that'd be a good thing, the warmth of their fellowship, caring for each other. I think that's scriptural, caring for each other, making sure that we've got each other's backs covered. I think God wants that. The family-like structure. You know, I've heard that from other individuals. We don't have family living in this area, but our church is our family locally here. I like to hear that. That's a good thing. Safety network. You know, I, I, it's a safe place. I can, I can share here. And I'm not necessarily just talking about this congregation. I'm just saying if there were a congregation like this, separated unto God, we have been set apart. We've been sanctified. We're allowing God to sanctify because we've set ourselves apart for God. Grounded, rooted, someplace where it's solid, stable, where there's some strength to it. If we were to sort of sum up this, this list that's here, maybe we could say we have an inward focus. We have an inner focus on this congregation. And so the question is, is this, a, is this a bad list to have, to be profiled as? Or maybe a better question would be, is, uh, would God be disappointed with a body of believers who would manifest this kind of a structure? What do you think? You think God would be disappointed? Or would he be more impressed or better pleased with this kind of a congregation. When you think of a congregation, you think of outreach. You think of, of uh, others, that are, they're, they're, their focus is on others, not themselves. They're thinking of the next person. They're, they're, they, they have a, uh, they're mission-minded. They're, uh, they have a goal that's bigger than just their congregation. Discipleship. I mean, that church is all about making disciples. I mean, they have people that are coming to the Lord, and they're teaching them, and they're leading them. Um, global worldview. It's a lot bigger than just Napanee. That congregation wants to have impact in the world. And we could sort of sum up this this profile is as an outward focus. And so the question is, which of these pleases God more? We need both. You're exactly right, Willis. Both sets are equally important to a conducive church life, to conducive church life. Both of these are needed. God is equally pleased with both sets of traits. In fact, one brings balance to the other. And when both of them are present, I believe we have a dynamic potential. I really believe that. However, as well and as good as it is for the first set, if we only stop there, like I said before, there, it, it is an implosion waiting to happen. We will crumble from within. If we only stop 
on the left side. If that is our main focus, this congregation will not sustain itself. The first one, the first, the inner focus brings a set of, of, of roots. It, it, it grounds us. It helps us be prepared to be able to go out. And so this is the approach that God has used all throughout history. Uh, and I never really stopped to think about it, but as I went back into Scripture and began to think of it through these eyes, through these lenses, I began to realize that this has been God's heartbeat ever since he brought man into the world. Let's go back to the beginning. What was the very first command that God gave? What is the very first command that we have in Scripture? Very quickly, what is it? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yes, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, the words fruitful uh, means to bear fruit, to bring forth, grow, to increase. And in the Hebrew, the two words sound very close alike. And they have a very close association. The word multiply means to increase, to bring in abundance. And that's the instruction that God gave to his people. God had an intended purpose with this command that went far beyond our ability to procreate. And so what was that reason? Why did Elohim, the God, the supreme God, the one who answers to no one, who is self-sustaining and self-sufficient. Why did he give this command to people? Was he missing something? Did he need something? Why did he give this command? Well, let's find out. I'd like to go over to Genesis chapter one, or 11. And I'm just going to read it here. You can follow along in your Bibles or up here. It says like this, verses 1 through 9, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the, west, from the east that they found a plain in the land of Sinar, Shinar, and dwelt there. Then, said, then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we become scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language. This is what, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and therefore, confuse the language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. From there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. What was it that distraught God in this story? What was it that distraught God in this story? Was it the fact that they were building a city? Was it the fact that they were building a tower that reached into the heavens? 
or that they all spoke one language? No. What distraught God was the fact that they wanted to make a name for themselves. That's what it says there in verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. And God was distraught with that, that they wanted to make a name for themselves. Secondly, they did not want to be scattered. That's what it says. Lest we become scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, what was wrong with not wanting to be scattered? Well, God knew that if they moved forward with this plan, they would become self-reliant, self-sufficient, and independent of God. God voiced that concern in, in verse 6, where he says, if they, if they proceed with this plan, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. We're going to be strong enough to do whatever we want to do. And God, I think, in his wisdom foresaw the fact that they were going to become a self-reliant people. They were going to be independent of God. In fact, I think another way of saying it is that he saw an impending implosion waiting to happen. And so, he came up with another plan. Sorry. Um, he confused their language so that there would be a great scattering abroad among the nations. Hence, we have all across the world, we have different ethnic groups, different cultures, different nations, different people, different languages. And in this action, we begin to see the heartbeat of God. Now listen, the people's sin was one issue. These two things, that was one issue. But even more important, I think, than that is understanding, even more important than the sins that the, that the people committed, was understanding God's greater purpose. You see, God's heartbeat has always been to make his name known. That has always been God's heartbeat. He wants his name to be made known. You know, we can get caught up in missions, and we can go through the rote actions of missions, but if we fail to make his name known, we've missed the point. We can go to faith mission on a Friday night. We can have kids club. We can go feed the, feed the children. Uh, with, with the youth. And if, it, if, if you do not make God's name known, you've missed the point. He's not impressed. God is not impressed with our feeble attempts to promote ourselves. Time and again, we see, throughout scriptures, we see God calling individuals, groups of people, Families, kings, prophets, the rich, the poor, all kinds of people that he called out to make his name known. In fact, right in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 12, for the first time we see God calling out a man by the name of Abraham. 
and he establishes a covenant with him. God's purpose for doing this was so that God's name would be made known through Abraham's seed. And hence we have the Jewish nation, the Israelites, who, by the way, is a type of the church of Jesus Christ. And he raised them up. He raised up this group of people that would be committed to make his name known. And so the question we need to ask is, how did they do? Well, it depends which year you're talking about, right? Some years, pretty good. But more sadly, more than not, their commentary reads probably more negative than positive. God certainly held up his end of the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And repeatedly throughout scriptures, uh, we see God working out miraculous events with this group of people, the Israelites. Things that just literally are, are, are beyond human comprehension that God orchestrated. And every time he did that, he did it so that his name would be made known. It wasn't for the Israelites' benefit. Now, they were the recipients. If they were faithful, they were the recipients of God's blessing. But the blessing was not the motivation for God to bring these miracles. It was so that his name would be made known. Yet tragically, these people consumed their blessings upon themselves. And the epitome of their pride is seen when they crucified the very one that brought them the blessings. God was committed to his promise with Abraham. So he repeated the same covenant to, to his son Isaac and then to his grandson Jacob. And that's what we want to pick up with in the next one is going back to the covenant that he made with Jacob. Listen to what God said to Jacob. It was when Jacob was out there in the field, he was laying down, he had this vision, the stairway, the ladder that came from the earth to heaven, and then God's standing at the top, and he speaks this word here to, to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your seed, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, I've been impacted by this covenant in a new way as I, as I looked at it a little bit closer. First, I'm struck with the similarity of this covenant and what we call the Great Commission for several reasons. One is the, the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are found in the first book of the Old Testament. I don't think it's a mistake or a coincidence that the Great Commission is found in the first book of the New Testament. But even further than that, I wonder if it just happened that they're both found in chapter 28 of the book of Genesis and the book of Matthew, chapter 28. 
But even more impressive and more sobering are the connections that we see between the two. Let's look at them. The first thing that we see is we see God validating himself. God always validates himself. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. He does the same thing in the Great Commission, and that's why I had you back up. Most people start the Great Commission with, Go ye therefore into all. No, no, he always validates himself first. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And by the way, I could preach a whole message on that word authority as I studied it just a little bit. Let me just say it this way, that this is a delegated authority. It's not something that Jesus Christ drummed up on his own. He was, he was given that because someone else gave it to him. And so he spoke with that kind of authority. And so he's validating himself. All authority. I say this, this is true because I've been given a word from the Lord. See, when we've been given a word from the Lord, when we know that we have something to stand on because it is from God, Satan can't buffet that. And that's what I'm saying with faith. And I've taught this about faith many times. I'll say it one more time. Faith is only faith if it is a word from the Lord. Romans 9, I think it is. That where it says that uh, faith comes by hearing the rhemas of God. And so when God speaks a rhema into your life, if you have a word from God, and you know it's a word from God, you stand upon that word. I don't care what the situation looks like. I don't care how impossible it looks like. Stand on that word. A rhema word from God can be stood upon in faith. And it will come to pass. God will never go back on his word. So, the next thing that we see God doing based on his authority is that he scatters the people. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. Does that coincide with the Great Commission? Go ye therefore and make disciples. Go, go, get out of here. See, first he brings us together. And then the next thing is, get out there. Go. I want you to go out. Go beyond these four walls. We can have it all cuddling, warm, and family-like, and as, as nice and cushy as possible in here. But if we stop there, we've missed the heartbeat of God. So he scatters the people. Next, we see the very heartbeat of God. He wants to make his name known. In you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how is God, how are people blessed by God? It's when they recognize that God is the giver of all good things, right? When you receive a blessing, you dare not consume it upon yourself. It is a violation of the very character of God. And so we see the same thing over on this side. 
teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. We are to make God known to the nations, to the people around us, to the people at work, your neighbors across the continent, wherever you go, make God's name known. And then he gives us the promise. Well, I thought he did. Yes, I am with you. He says in the covenant to Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And didn't he say the same thing over the Great Commission? I am with you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end. You see, the Great Commission was already set in motion with Abraham and his seed. The Israelites miserably failed. So he reiterated it again in the new dispensation with his bride, the church. It's always been God's heartbeat to have his name be made known. You see, life is not just about me and my good and and what is my blessing and my comfort. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about promoting and exalting Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the Western church has so distorted the heartbeat of God. And I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. I know that. But as a whole, the Western church has, has really distorted the heartbeat of God. And if we're not careful, I think we can, get, we can easily get sucked into the disillusionment. And what I mean by that is that there is such a me-centered gospel around us today. I mean, we see it in books. We see it in, in hear it in messages. We hear it in songs. And, and, and the idea is, and I, I want to be careful here because there's a balance. I understand this, but the the disillusionment is when my good and my blessing and God's favor showered upon me becomes more important than me blessing God and me making his name known. And, and we have flipped that thing completely around in the Western world. Now just listen to the songs. It's, it's about God's blessings being given to you, his comfort, his promises. Yes, that's true, it is. But those stem out of, those come out of, it's a residual byproduct of my relationship with Jesus Christ and how I'm making his name known. God does want to bless his children. He does have promises. But my number one priority in my, in my prayer life, in the requests that I made, make, or in anything that I say or do, should always be the desire to make God's name known. When we pray for healing for someone, we rejoice with Angie and, and, the, and the clear record that came back and God touching her body. And bringing, but it's not, about, it's not about her healing. Yes, that's the byproduct. 
But because of that, we are going to exalt the name of Jesus as Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. Amen. It is about making his name known. See, we don't want to glory in the fact that he, that he healed. Yes, we are grateful we express that to him, but our glory goes to Jesus Christ. I did a very simple exercise in preparation for this message. And this is not an exhaustive exercise by any stretch, by any means. But I searched various phrases that came to my mind to see whether my argument holds, holds, is valid or not, okay? Just to go through Scripture. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to share what I found with you. I thought of the phrase that, and I put the blank in there, that whoever shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so I, I googled that or I, I searched that. And here's what I found out. That there are many passages in scripture that they shall know that I am the Lord. That the Egyptians, by the way, as the, as the Israelites are a picture of the church, Egypt is a picture of the world, that the world or the Egyptians shall know, that ye shall know, that the heathen should know, that the house of Israel should know, that the church should know, that Egypt should know, on and on and on, that they should know that I am the Lord. Many passages of Scripture. I tweaked the, the, the wording just a little bit. And I put down, instead of that they might, I put down that they may know. And here's the results, that the Egyptians would know, that you would know, talking about us, that you would know that I am the Lord. Might know that I am the Lord. Just that phrase there. Three different places in Scripture shall know the Lord, that phrase there. I found various verses that's, that had that phrase in there. And it's all centering around God wanting to make his name known. Thou art God, that phrase. We find it again and again. Thou art God. I did so and so to know that you are God. You are the Lord. Thou art the Lord, very similar to the last one. Thou art the Lord. Mike, make his mighty power to made known one time in Psalms. Mike, make known his deeds. And again, we find it in various places throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that thou mayest know, that thou mayest know this is the heartbeat of God, my friends. This is what God wants to do through the Great Commission, to make his name known. Know the Lord is found numerous times in both the uh, Old and New Testament. Knowing the Lord, being lifted up or something similar to that, the idea of being lifted up, God being lifted up, being exalted. And we find that, might know thee, that they might know thee. We find that in the book of uh, John, that I might show. And then we have the phrases here, show forth, and, then, and, and again, the various different ones. Show forth his salvation. 
Show forth his marvelous works. Show forth thy praise, thy righteousness and salvation. Show forth thy loving kindness. Show forth my praise. Show forth all loving kindness or long suffering. Old and New Testament. That's what God wants to do through his people. God blesses you. Tell others about it. They can't argue with your testimony. Uh, that's the one of the best ways I've found to witness. Can I just tell you what Jesus did in my life? And I found it very non-threatening. They can't argue with that. You know, if I would go to somebody and say, Eli, you're not a Christian. I mean, let's say that you're not a Christian. I'd say, you know, you need Jesus Christ. And here's why you need Jesus Christ. Instead, if I go to them and say, you know, Eli, can I share with you what Jesus did in my life? It breaks down the walls. They can't say, no, that didn't happen to you. God is wanting to show forth his praise, his glory. It's a wonderful testimony that Lloyd and Angie can have as they go out to people. You know what God did in our life just recently? It's a wonderful testimony to your children. That's what I said. I always told Glad, I said, I want my children to know that the God I serve is relevant for today. It's not some mystical being out there that, that's sort of a, a figment of my imagination. No, he's relevant. He's here. He, he works in my life, and here's how he's done it. Take those opportunities. And by the way, one of the best ways as parents, somebody just brought this out to me recently. Best ways is for, for the multiplication of the kingdom of God is through our families. Think of, think of addition versus multiplication. You can go out and you can win one person to the Lord out there somewhere. But if you've got one, two, three, four, five, six children or more, and you bring them all to the Lord, and their children bring all, and your children bring their children to the Lord, and in three generations you have a multiplication of people, warriors for the kingdom of God. So don't miss the most important one right at your fingertips. Thou art exalted. Your name is exalted. In various passages of just exalting the character of God. You are so and so and we will praise you. We will exalt you. There's one place in Psalm 46 where it's mentioned twice. Exalted among the heathen. Exalted in the land or in the earth. Psalm 97, verse 9, that you are exalted far above all gods. Small g. Exalted far above all gods. And probably one of those saddest verses that I read is found in Hosea, where he's lamenting that no one exalted him. He was not exalted. Is that the profile that God would give for, Ber for Berea? Would he say, you know, that, that they're warm, they're Christ-like, they're, they're accepting, but they're not exalting me? I hope not. And then we find a verse in Revelation that stunned me. In verse 23 of chapter 2, where it says that I will kill her, her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each one of you according to your works. 
shouldn't the churches already know? Did he have to go through that in order for the churches to know? Shouldn't the churches know already? Friends, this morning, I want to challenge you to allow this congregation to be everything that we talked about in the list that's, that we had put up earlier. Being, f- being one that cares for each other, that, that where there's a safe place for people to come, where there's, where there's a, a focus of each other and blessing each other. That's God's heartbeat. But we dare not stop there. We cannot stop there. We cannot afford to stop there. We have to go back beyond these walls. Once we've been brought together, and I call this my spiritual huddle, these Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, we can bring, and we bring people together. Yes, we bring us, and we fellowship together, and we, we edify each other, and, and we encourage each other with our testimonies and prayers and, and Sunday school lessons and, and teachings and all the good stuff that happens here in this body right here. But we dare not stop right there. It's the, the, the reason we do this, the reason we bring everybody together on a Sunday morning like this and other times is to equip you to go back out and spread to the north and to the south and to the east and the west and wherever you go to make the name of the Lord known. The central theme of God is to receive glory to himself, glory and great, uh, great glory to himself by creating mankind, replenish the earth, be fruitful, replenish the earth, creating mankind, then sending them out, scattering them abroad. We see it time and again in Scripture. Bringing them back together as one, making disciples by making his name known, all for his praise and glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to be part of a plan that is so big, it's way beyond our ability to accomplish. And so we simply ask for your strength and your help, God, and forgiveness, Father, for the times that we've failed to make your name known, where we've missed the opportunity. Lord, I ask your forgiveness. And then just help us to commit ourselves to to not repeat the same mistake, to have the courage, the boldness, the, um, the character of Christ in our lives to make your name known. Lord, we go in your authority and in your name, and I commission everyone that is here this morning to do that in the coming weeks, Lord, in the coming years. Lord, that you would be glorified and your name would be made known commit ourselves to you. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.